Today we celebrate the solemnity of the Most Holy Trinity. In the preaching world, it's called Heresy Sunday. Because the reality is that when one speaks about the Blessed Trinity, if one <clears throat> looks a little too closely or pushes a, little, uh, a, a single point about the Blessed Trinity a little too far, one finds that they have indeed gone too far, and they are no longer teaching the faith, they are teaching something contrary to it. One day in seminary, our, our professor for Trinitarian theology split us all up into groups, and this is our, our, I think it was our third year of theology, so we were just about to be ordained deacons, so we should, we should know things by this point, right? And so we wanted to flex our theological muscles and to be able to show our acumen and all the, all the, the, the details of Trinitarian theology. So we split us up in groups of three or four and passed out a, a, a one-page reflection paper to each group and told us to critique it, to, to find where are the errors here and what are the, the things that need to be cleaned up and, you know, some, you know, is there any heresy that's present here? And, of course, we went to work and we, you know, ripped into them and all these kinds of things and, you know, we had to present our reflections afterwards. And so our class, our, my little group got up and we you know, said, well, this is wrong, and this is wrong, and this, this clearly is heresy, and then it was just kind of this, just really lit it on fire, and then uh, at the end, he said, excellent, well done, that's my paper, it's totally, it's totally orthodox. Hmm, thank you, doctor, and we humbly took our seats. Sometimes we press too deeply, trying to understand the things of God, or to try to make sense of it. And this is part of the great reality of the Lord God, is that he is, as much as we press into it, absolute mystery. If every human mind, for all of existence, for the fullness of time, devoted every moment of its thought to contemplating and seeking to understand the most blessed Trinity, we would always, and for the end of time, never understand that the Trinity is a Trinity. It's not something we can understand. It's not something we can think up. Sure, we can use philosophy to reason that God exists, but there's not a mind in this world that would be sane enough and sober enough to believe that God is three and yet somehow one, as if math doesn't apply at all. It's madness, according to the mystery, according to the, the thought of the world. Foolishness. But for us... It is faith. It is mystery. It is something we don't reason to. Rather, more importantly, it is something revealed to us. It is something that God comes to us. He condescends. He comes down to us. And he shows us something about himself that we could not otherwise know. Again, we can seek to understand all sorts of attributes of God. I think it was St. Anselm who described God as that than which nothing greater can be thought. A nice philosophical description of him, right? If you can think of something that's greater than the thing you're thinking about, that thing is the higher thing, and therefore it must be God. So we can, we can attribute all kinds of acts of perfection that God's not limited by time. He's not limited by space. You know, he's, he's, he's not, you know, changing and, 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 you know, of a fickle heart like we are. We can understand attributes in this sense. But the fact that he is Trinity is because he loves us and has revealed this to us. 
Because he comes down to us, not simply to, to be able to give us the knowledge so as to, uh, to, to allow us just to, to kind of be uh, better than the other animals, not only because of use of reason, but because we understand God a little bit more. We understand that God is, is a mystery of, of blessed trinity, of one substance, but three persons, equal in themselves and yet distinct somehow, not one greater, but not one lesser. He does it so that he can draw close to us, and more importantly, that we can draw close to him. He does it so we can come close to a relationship, because this is what love does in a relationship. If one is in a relationship, but the other person never tells you anything about themselves, it's kind of hard to love them, right? Because you don't know who they are. You don't know how to connect with them. You don't know how to speak to them. You don't know how to connect heart to heart, because there's nothing much there to connect to. But with God, he comes to open his own heart to us and to allow us to know him as much as we are able in this great mystery, to contemplate him as father, to contemplate him as son, to contemplate him as spirit, and have a closeness with all three persons in this one God, to be able to speak in our prayer to each of them individually, particularly, clearly, because of our relationship with them, that we understand something of them, rather than just being gods that are far off and distant from us, as the, as the Greek gods or Roman gods would often be found at the mountaintops and the people would be down below because you, there, was never a, there was never a connection with them. They were just so far away. Our God has come to us. This is what Moses speaks to the people in Deuteronomy. What other nation has a God so close to them as we do to us? What other God of, of, of all these foreign nations who, who claim that they have other gods? They're foreign gods, even to the people that worship them. But our God has come to us, and he has done marvelous things, all for love of us, to draw us into himself, to draw us into his mystery, to make us adopted children of God, to bring us into the family, in short. These are tremendous things that have happened simply on account of his revelation of himself. Another great mystery of the revelation is the law of God that is given to us. If we listen to the, the readings that were spoken today, all of them speak about the, the reality of God coming down to us, of God being close to us, of us being drawn into the life of God, but all of them also ne- necessarily speak to and connect to commandments. Go out and baptize all nations, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them. In Deuteronomy, the book, the book that means second law. It's the entire book that, that after the first law was given, the Ten Commandments, it wasn't enough. They had, God had to clarify things because the Ten Commandments weren't enough for the, for, for the people who heard it the first time. So God had to, had to elucidate it a little bit more. He had to say, okay, well, yeah, don't kill, but also that means these things, right? And he had to expound it a little bit so that the people would understand more clearly and allow their hearts to be changed and ultimately to prosper. Fascinating thing. When we follow the law of God, we prosper. That doesn't necessarily mean we'll all win the jackpot or these kinds of things. That doesn't mean that we'll be financially blessed or any other kind of necessarily earthly blessing, although there certainly will be. The Lord God cares for us and cares for our needs. But it does mean that we will prosper in Him in the short term here, but ultimately in eternal life. 
that there we will find the true fruits. Sometimes in our world, the idea of commandments or law can be viewed as a negative thing. Many people love to, to point to the catechism and talk about how the catechism needs to be changed, it needs to be updated, it needs to be revised. We need to take this out, change these words, update that and fix this, that and the other thing because it doesn't apply to our context anymore. Maybe our context needs to change rather than the catechism. Because the simple fact is that the teachings of the church are not meant to conform us to the world. They're meant to conform us to the heart of Jesus Christ. They're meant to shape us. Sometimes positively, sometimes negatively. For us to hear not to kill people is a good thing sometimes. It's a good reminder. It's a reminder, don't do those things. Because if you do those things, it will lead you down to a place of wickedness of heart. It will corrupt you. Sometimes the Lord gives us positive things, such as the bishop speaking to us and saying, next Sunday, you're obligated to go to Mass, go to church, period. A positive commandment. And again, it's for a purpose. It's to lead us to God. Every commandment, every law, every, everything that, that tells us something to do or not to do is ultimately has one singular purpose, is to draw us also closer to the heart of God either by way of staying away from something evil or intentionally placing ourselves in the presence of something good. All of that drawing us closer to the heart of the Father. And in these things rejoice, because this too also the Lord has given us in Revelation. Again, there are certain things that, that we can reason to by virtue of, 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 of our own philosophical understandings and understandings of truth. There are certain things known as the, the natural law that God has written into every human heart. There are certain things that all of us, just by our nature, know are wrong. doesn't mean we don't do them because we're still broken, right? But all of us know that these things are wrong. God has written his law into our hearts, but God has written even more for us. More revelation that continues to come down to us of the law of God that teaches us how to be close to him, that teaches us how to, how to stay away from that which pulls us away from him and inclines our hearts more and more towards his goodness and his grace. So as we celebrate this Feast of the Most Blessed Trinity, it's a time for us to rejoice in the revelations of God, that he has revealed himself as one God and three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And furthermore, he has revealed a law to us, his law, that is allowing our hearts to be shaped and molded to draw close to him who is blessed Trinity. And so in all of this, we glorify the Lord for his goodness, for his love, and for his mercy. And so we pray, glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen.